Amen. Thank you, Amy and group. Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4, I want to bring a message this morning entitled, A Mother's Burden. A Mother's Burden. Uh, Let me add my uh, wishes to all of our mothers and grandmothers here today. We pray that today will be a very special day for you, a day that uh, we can express our love and appreciation to you and, and dote on you a little bit. Uh, Richie Davis always teases me. He said, you know, Scott, you preachers are all the same. He said, on Mother's Day, you spoil the ladies and you dote on them and encourage them so much. And then on Father's Day, man, you really rip us and you, you give it to us and let us have it. So uh, today we just want to encourage our moms a little bit and uh, try to strengthen them in their walk with the Lord. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? 2 Kings chapter 4, and let's read together uh, from verse 1 down to verse 7. A mother's burden. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful today for our moms because of their great love for us, the way that they have cared for us and nurtured us and tried to make sure that our needs were met. And God, we do pray that today would be a very special day for our moms, that they would know of our love for them, that today would be a day of blessing upon them. We thank you for the moms and grandmothers here, who some who have traveled perhaps miles to be with family. Father, we pray that each day in their lives that you would strengthen them, strengthen their homes. And Lord, just be a shepherd to them and provide for all of their needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Father, now we pray for the preaching of your word. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. May we only see Jesus and Him high and lifted up. May we be drawn to Him. God, use this time to convict us, to challenge us, to transform us, that we might be more like Christ. 
And whatever we face this week, God, give us the strength by your grace that we will trust you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Perhaps you've been in a situation before where you were almost at the point of despair. Maybe you felt like you were at the end of your rope and you were just barely hanging on. Or perhaps you felt like you were in some dead end in your life and you simply don't know what you're going to do if something doesn't change. Have you ever been there? Sure you have. We've all been there at some point in our lives. Moms, I want you to think of some of the desperate situations that we face today in this society and in this culture with our children. Sometimes the stresses that they go through really challenge us and become the trials that we try to bear with them. And we know what all they're facing in the world today and how difficult life is for them sometimes. I want you to consider some of the disturbing statistics that George Barna and Tom Rayner have published. They've told us that 88% of all youth who are raised in Christian homes walk away from the church by age 18, never to return. That's disturbing. They've gone on to publish that a growing number of adults no longer consider Christianity as America's default religion. And they've indicated that an estimated 4% of Gen Ys, also called the Bridger generation, will retain their Christian faith at adulthood. 4%. Now for their grandparents, it was 65% of their generation. For their parents, it was 35% that would retain their Christian faith. But for the Gen Ys, only 4% of them will retain their Christian faith. That's disturbing. And I want you to watch this video with me, a three-minute video that will go on to tell about some other challenges with our young people that are very disturbing. Some very disturbing trends and statistics certainly shows us in the church that we've got a lot of work to do. Now folks, as the curtain is lifted on 2 Kings chapter 4, we see here a very touching story of despair. It's a a story of impoverishment, of misery, and of defeat. Now what do we do at times like this? What is it that we can learn from this widow? Well, we learn from this text that God's children are not beyond His care or His reach. It is never misplaced trust to place our trust in the Lord. 
Now the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is that believers must make their need known to God. Look with me again at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now I want you to notice what she is doing here. She is going to God's prophet. She's going to Elisha and she's making her need known. Now what would people do in the Old Testament? They would go to some human representative. Now fortunately for us, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is our high priest. We don't have to go to a human representative. Aren't you glad of that today? That you don't have to take some kind of offering like a, a lamb or a, or a calf or a dove, something of that nature, and go to a priest somewhere and present a sacrifice and depend on that human representative to carry your needs before God. Well, that's what they had to do back in the Old Testament days. Now God has given us spiritual leaders today, granted for our benefit. After all, Paul says in Ephesians 4 that he's given evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body of Christ so that we can better obtain maturity. And that's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we need to hold our leaders in high esteem. Not because of them necessarily, but because of the work that they do. So yes, today we can go before our leaders and one another and we can gain encouragement for one another, uh, from one another. But back then they went to a human representative. But folks, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he's made peace with God on our behalf. There on Calvary's cross, he took your place and my place. He died in our stead. He took all of our sin upon himself that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then he's opened the way for us into the holy of holies. And the Bible says that he is seated there at the right hand of God and he's making intercession for us. And so what great encouragement it is. That in the church today we can go directly to God with all of our burdens, all of our trials, all of our tribulation and we can lay all of that before the Lord Jesus Christ and He is our advocate and He is interceding for us. You see in Hebrews 1 it says after He made atonement for our sins He sat down at the right hand of God signifying that the work of redemption as far as sin is over. There's nothing else that remains to be done for our forgiveness. And then in the book of Acts in the case of Stephen being stoned, we see that God gave him that vision of the heavens open and Jesus Christ was not seated, but Jesus Christ was standing before God. And that indicates to us that when we're in the greatest points of need, he's watching over us. 
So he's seated there and he's standing there and he's our representative before God. And the encouragement that we have is that with confidence, even with boldness, we can go before God and we can be transparent with all of our needs. Aren't you glad that that is the blessing that we have today? Such a blessing. And that's why as the people of God we are encouraged to every day of our lives be in the word of God and be before God in prayer pouring out our hearts and our burdens to him because we know he's there to give us comfort and counsel and peace and to help us. Well, here's this lady. She's going before one of God's human representatives. And she's making her need known. She's crying out to God. And we see here that God met her in her hard place. We serve a God that hard places are no challenge to Him. You know, hard places are tough for us. Sometimes we're going down a dark alley and we can't see the next step. Sometimes we're in a deep pit. Sometimes we're faced with hard challenges and we don't know where to turn. But you know what? Our God meets us in the hard places of life. God met her. And look at how she made her need known. She was fervent. She cried out to God and she was frank. She related all of her problems. And what an example she becomes for us that we must be fervent and we must cry out to God. Now over in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a powerful parable about this. Over in Luke 18, uh, beginning there in verse 1, it says that Jesus told a parable to the effect that men ought always to pray and never to lose heart. That's the two challenges that are before us oftentimes. We can either pray and take all of our needs before God on the one hand and rely on His strength and wisdom and guidance or we can fret and despair and maybe uh, end up almost giving up in life. We grow faint. And Jesus admonished us that we need to carry all of our needs before God. And he gave an illustration. He told a parable which brought this point home. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see what Jesus is doing there? He's presenting a contrast. 
Here was an unjust judge, an unrighteous judge who didn't care for man and he didn't care for God. And yet here was this widow who kept coming before him and before long he decided that he better intervene and he better do something in her behalf. Now Jesus is not not comparing God and this judge. He's contrasting God and this judge. He's saying we serve a righteous judge, an all-loving father and we can go before him if we know that wicked men can be moved how much can we be assured that a loving heavenly father will be moved by our needs and work in our behalf. But then he gave the punchline. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, it takes faith to present our needs before God, doesn't it? It takes faith. And that's what this widow is doing. She is turning to God and she's rolling all of her cares uh, over on God. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we're to do that. Cast all of our care upon him knowing that he cares for us. Folks, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if that's how God treated us, When we were sinners estranged from him, Paul is saying how much more now that we're redeemed, we're adopted sons and daughters of God and we can cry out, Abba, Father, and we can know we're in God's family. If God looked after our needs when we were sinners, how much more can we be assured that he'll look after us now that we're his children? And so we need to present our our, our needs before God. As someone has wisely said, life is precious, handle with prayer. We also have to be frank. We've got to be honest with God. But somebody says, oh pastor, I can't talk to God about such and such. Do you not think he knows your heart already? The Bible says he knows everything in our minds, everything in our heart. He even knows our motives and our intent. God knows everything about us. And so we can talk to him about anything. Well, what was her need? What was her problem? There was death in her family. Now being a woman back then, her husband would have been her provider, her protector, as well as her life partner. She was in desperate straits. Women at this time could often get in desperate straits if their husbands died. If their husband died and their husband had a brother, the brother was supposed to marry uh, his brother's widow so that she would not be destitute. That's what a kinsman redeemer was all about. The book of Ruth is all about God providing a kinsman redeemer so that a woman wouldn't be destitute. And here in 2 Kings 4, nobody has stepped forward. And apparently that's an indication that she didn't have anybody else in life. She's all alone. It's just her and her children. And even though her husband feared the Lord, apparently he had not prepared his family very well for the future. They must have been living on the edge financially. And so when he died, she was truly a desperate woman. 
Now, folks, to his credit, let me say that people back then didn't have all the options with insurance policies we have today. But nonetheless, she ends up destitute. Now, there's another possibility of what may be going on here, why this family was in such desperate need. You see, Jewish tradition says that her husband was none other than Obadiah the prophet. Now, if that Jewish tradition is accurate, then that means, according to the book of 1 Kings, in the days of Ahab and Jezebel, the wicked king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who plunged the nation into unbelief and paganism, Baalism, back during that day, you'll recall, Jezebel was going after all of the prophets of God and trying to silence them and even putting some of them to death. Now, according to 1 Kings, Obadiah had taken 100 of God's prophets and hid them away in a cave, and he provided for all of their needs. And so if that's the case, this family might be broke because the husband and the father was simply taking care of all of God's servants. But whether that was the reason for her being so destitute or maybe poor planning, at any rate, she was in a desperate situation. She was destitute. And notice what she tells Elisha here, that the creditors have come to take her sons and make slaves or servants out of them. Now folks, let's don't be too quick to be harsh on these creditors. Because in Old Testament times, according to the law of God in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, creditors could do that. It was a long-standing law, a long-standing tradition. In fact, it even existed up to New Testament times. Jesus even alluded to this practice in one of his parables. In Matthew 18, 25, he said, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So it was common practice. She's destitute and she's about to be more destitute. She's about to lose her sons who are going to have to work the family debt off. There's also doubt, not only death in the family, but doubt. You can almost hear in verse 1, doubt in her voice. She said, my husband feared the Lord, but now. It's almost like she's saying, how could God allow something like this to happen? You know, sometimes believers feel this way. They feel like faith is supposed to erase all of our problems. You know, problems can be a great thing to draw people to Jesus. But if you lead somebody to Jesus who has a lot of problems and that's their motive for being saved, make sure you tell them up front that Jesus may not take all of their problems away. We've got to understand that the Bible never promises us a life free of problems. Christians aren't promised that we won't ever get sick. Christians aren't promised that we'll never have any kind of financial difficulties in our lives. We aren't exempt from the same problems and the same issues that plague other people. 
I think a number of years ago about a lady in our congregation that was terminally ill with cancer and when she was in the hospital she told me about a very well-meaning visitor that she had. And this well-meaning visitor came by her room to pray for her and admonished her and said if you would only have faith you would not have to be sick as a Christian. Now folks, I wonder how the Apostle Paul would feel about that kind of theology. I mean, he had a thorn in the flesh. He was suffering. He was suffering because of that thorn in the flesh. And it was uh, apparently negatively affecting his life in many ways. And the Bible says he prayed three times for God to remove that thorn in the flesh. But God didn't do that. Instead, God said, Paul, there's a reason I'm going to leave that problem in your life. You're going to learn through that problem that my grace is sufficient for you. We need to remember Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. We need to understand that we live in a fallen world. Now redemption will eventually take care of this. When we're in heaven one day and we're enjoying the consummation of our salvation, Revelation 20 and 21 says that he's making all things new and so there's not going to be any more suffering or disease or sickness or death or any kind of pain uh, because he is making all things new. Aren't you glad of that? That all the troubles you have nowadays and all the pain and suffering you go through nowadays and all the things that are heavy on your heart some weeks nowadays, you're not going to experience any of those problems in heaven. But for now, we go through problems. We find ourselves in the context of valleys oftentimes. Situations much like this widow. Our circumstances may be different, but nonetheless, we're still going through a trial. And what we can be assured of is the people of God, that while God may not always spare us from problems that other people face, we can be assured that we're never alone. In fact, remember the psalmist said, God's a tower of strength for us, a refuge, a present help in time of trouble. And that's why the psalmist went on to say, I will not fear, but I will trust in the Lord, and He will be that shield for me at my right hand. Folks, we can present all our needs before God. He cares for us. But secondly this morning, I want you to see from verses 2 to 4 that believers must trust God. Believers must trust God. Look at verse uh, 2, beginning in verse 2 and reading down through verse 4. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. God gave Elisha a plan and he related this plan to this widow. And now she had a choice to make. Was she going to trust God? She chose to trust God. Moms, do you trust God? 
Over and over again in the Bible, we are admonished as the people of God to trust God. Listen to Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now notice that. Not with just some of your heart, but with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Boy, now that's a tough one, isn't it? What do we usually want to do? We usually want to come up with a plan all of our own, don't we? We get in a mess. We get in a desperate situation. And we try to sit down and draw it all out and calculate how in the world we're going to get out of this mess. And sometimes, sadly, even for believers, God is the last one that we think about. But the Bible says we need to trust God with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here is a mom that had to trust God with all of her heart. And likewise, she had to refuse to lean on her own understanding. You see, Elisha's plan on the surface, seems so unreasonable. Sometimes God's ways seem unreasonable. That's why Isaiah 55, God reminds us that His ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes God's ways don't make immediate sense to us, but we still have to trust Him. I mean, take salvation for instance. I mean, it would stand to human reason that surely I can do something to contribute to my own salvation. It would seem that way. It would seem like if I lived my life and tried to end my life one day uh, with more checks in the good column than in the bad column, that I would make it to heaven. But you know what the Bible says? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. There is none righteous, no, not one, not even one that seeks after God. And that's why Jesus said we've got to be poor in spirit. We've got to realize that there is nothing in our own spiritual treasure chest that we can present before God. To gain our own entrance into heaven. We have to cast ourselves on God's mercy. On Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But I tell you what, that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? But that's what we've got to do. We've got to trust God. Some people will reason their way right out of a relationship with God because they don't understand. I think of what Jesus said in John 1, 11 and 12. It says that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the testimony that God has given unto us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever has not the Son of God does not have the life. 1 John 3.23 says, And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. We've got to trust God for salvation. We've got to trust God for all of our needs. 1 Peter 5.7, Cast all of our care upon Him, knowing that He cares for us. Folks, what did Jesus say about that? In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said he was admonishing his followers to trust him. He said, don't be like the Gentiles. Now, sometimes in Scripture, Gentiles is just used in a neutral way. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Sometimes it's used in a negative way for the unbelievers. He said, don't be like the Gentiles who go about in their life fretting and worrying about everything. He said, I want you to understand that God created you. He gave you your life. And so you can rest in His care. You can trust Him as His child that He's going to look after your everyday needs. Now, He may not supply all of your greeds, but He'll supply your needs. And Jesus gave the illustration of the lilies of the field and the birds and how God takes care of them. And he said, aren't you more valuable than them? Certainly. Trust God. Moms, don't go through life worrying and fretting about everything, but roll all of those burdens over onto God. Make your needs known to God and trust God that God is going to intervene. Now, we may not always can predict the way He's going to intervene or His timing, but God will help meet our needs. We need to trust Him. Trust Him. Thirdly, I want you to see that believers must obey God. Look at verse 5. It says, So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. Believers must obey God. She had to do what she was told. And that took faith. Hebrews 11 reminds us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And that means faith is not simply a good idea or a good suggestion, but it is a necessity if we're going to please God. She exercised faith and she obeyed God. You know, there are so many things in life that you and I have absolutely no control over whatsoever, but this is one area of life we do have control over. We can decide that we are going to obey God. 
Look at what she did. She presented what she had. She made available what she had. Her sons went and got vessels and she continued to pour that oil. She just simply obeyed God and made available what was right there in front of her, the little that she had, and God multiplied it. It reminds me, quite frankly, of the story in John chapter 6 where Jesus told his disciples about the crowd. He said, feed them. And they said, how in the world are we going to feed this crowd? And Jesus said, let me see what you have. And a little boy came forward and he had a couple of little fish and some bread. And Jesus multiplied that. That little lad made available what he had. That's what this lady here did in her obedience. And that's what Romans 12.1 says you and I are to do. As an act of obedience to God, we simply present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. She had to think big. Get all the jars you can. And as long as the sons kept bringing the jars, God kept filling them. Folks, it was a miracle. As she obeyed, God supplied her every need. Now sometimes God's provision in the Bible is tied to what we do. Sometimes it's not tied to what we do. Now this was a case in point where it was tied to her obedience. As she obeyed and her sons brought those vessels, then God supplied. You know what I think of related to us today? I think of prayer. There are times in the Bible that God directly ties blessings to prayer. James said in James 4, you have not because you ask not. But then he went on to remind us that when we ask for something, it needs to be in the will of God. We shouldn't think that we can ask for selfish or greedy things and God's going to bless that. But if we're asking according to the will of God, God hears us. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. Moms, are you praying that way for your children? You know, I believe that praying for our children to know Christ and to live for Christ is a prayer that is definitely within the will of God. So moms, are you obeying by praying? Now this story has something else to say about that. Notice that God secretly worked when she went into her home and she closed the door. In other words, when she got alone with God and got in secret, God blessed her. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer? He admonished us to go into that secret chamber or to go into our closet and pray. There make our needs known to God. And as we do that, he said, God would work to supply your needs. And God has a wonderful way of doing far more than we could ever even expect. 
This lady was able to take the oil, sell it, pay off all of her debt, and then she had enough to live on. You know what that reminds me of? What Paul says in Ephesians 3.20 that our God is able to do even above and beyond anything that we could think or imagine. Amen? That's the kind of God we serve. Moms, everybody, just like this lady today in 2 Kings, everybody is going to go through adversity in life. I am and you are. Everybody will. And because of this adversity, we, can, we, we all carry burdens, some of those burdens heavy at times. What will adversity and the burdens that come with it do to you? I think of a little girl that came home one day complaining about school and complaining about her teachers and the other students who were making her life miserable and she was having to struggle with grades and she was so discouraged in her young life. Now her dad was a chef and he took some boiling water and to one batch of that water he added carrots. To another batch of that water he added eggs. And to a third batch of the water, he put coffee in. And after a while, he took them all out and he told his daughter to come over there to where he was. He wanted her to see something. He asked her to observe what the water had done to the carrots. She said it had made the carrots soft. He said that's how some people deal with adversity and burdens. It takes all the life out of them and weakens them and makes them soft. Well next he peeled the eggs. And they had become hard boiled eggs. And he said that's how other people respond. Hardship makes them hard on the inside. It makes some people hard and bitter. But the water the coffee was in was dark brown and he had her taste it. She said that it had a rich, strong flavor. And he said to his daughter, that's how other people respond to adversity. The trials of life help them to get stronger and richer. And he admonished his daughter to be like the coffee. In 2 Kings 4, we see a mother who was like the coffee. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. And as you do so, every head bowed and every eye closed. Moms, I want to challenge you to be like this widow in our scripture today. Take your needs to God and trust God and obey. Will you do that? Take your needs to God. Is there some issue you need to carry to God this morning? Is it a burden perhaps over a child? Is it some issue in your own life that is affecting your life and how you parent? Some moms just may want to come to this altar today in a public way and put that burden there and say, God, I need your strength. I can't handle this on my own. I need you. God, here's my need. I make it known to you.
And I trust you that in, in, in your way and in your time, you're going to meet my need. Are there other moms here this morning that need to come forward? For the first time in your life, trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you need to say, you know, until today, I, I've been trying to come up with my own plan to save myself. And I see that I can't do it. I need Jesus. Make that public. Everybody Jesus called in the Word of God, He called publicly. In fact, he, he said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Come forward today saying, Pastor, I'm here today to confess Jesus as my Lord. And again, other moms, lay in your burdens right here on this altar. Or right there in the privacy of your seat. Take your situation before God. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people. According to your will. Lord, speak to hearts. All I can do is speak to ears. It takes your spirit to speak to hearts. We pray right now that you would speak to hearts. Bring about encouragement, comfort, and transformation where that's needed. All to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.